Let's get our Bibles out and let's get into them. We're going to continue on to the series we began last week. Um, and really, I, I say we began last week, but if you've been with us, you know that this is a pattern that's been weaved since late November and December. We've, this has been going, especially late December. Um, and that's, that's why it's important that you show up. <laughs> you know, um, when you show up, you find out that, that God is weaving something. And you might think, I've got a grand plan of what I'm going to speak. Um, and I pray about it and I study it. But the truth is, and I don't mean to say this to, to try to sound super spiritual to you, but when I take a step back, I go, oh, wow, that's why we talked about that. And that's why this went together. It's only afterwards that, that we really find out how everything works together. You know, Wednesday nights, we're going through First Peter. And uh, it's easy to see the connection there because you're going verse by verse through a whole book. And you can see that connection. But you know, every, every word in the Old and the New Testament ties together in some way. It all leads back to Jesus. And so it's been interesting as we've been going through that God is preparing us for something. And I, I don't think we ever should hear a message so that we can be educated. I think education is great. Um, but I don't believe that's the purpose of the Word of God is merely to educate you. I think, I think you sure will leave educated. You sure will leave with a, a sense that you knew something you didn't know, but that's not the point. Because Jesus said that the Word is a seed, right? What do seeds generally do? They grow. Do they grow into bigger seeds? <laughs> I like that. Arlene, you're on the ball. You're ready to say yes, but in a sense they do, but they change, don't they? Um, they you know, that, that would be funny if you planted pumpkin seeds and then out in your garden, there's just a big giant pumpkin seed. Might not be as, exactly what you're looking for. Seeds not only grow, but they change. And so when God tells us, when Jesus tells us that his word is a seed, we should expect that when we hear the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, that it's being planted in our hearts and it's meant to grow and it's meant to transform into something else. I've, you, I've said this before, but sometimes we, we, we get fired up by the way the message is, is delivered, all right? So uh, we've all got our favorites. We've all got our styles. Some of you like a laid-back style. Some of you like somebody spitting in your face for an hour and a half. And, and, and we all kind of cross the spectrum there. But sometimes we get so fired up on the way the word is delivered that we think that that's, that's why it was so powerful. Because he preached it so well or she said it so well that somehow it hit me in a different way. And we'll go home and we'll say, well, you know, I don't know if it's ever been as big to me. I don't know if it's ever been as powerful to me as when they preached it that day. That's when it was really big in my heart. But it's dwindled a little bit or, or, or I need to get fired up again. But according to Jesus, if the word is the seed, seeds are small and they grow big. And so as, as, as well as it might be delivered or as poorly as it might be delivered, when you first receive the word of God, as excited as you are on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or at your own study time or in a home group meeting on Tuesday, whatever, as excited as you are, that's the smallest that it's ever meant to be in your heart. It's only supposed to get bigger from there. 
And so when we hear messages like this, number one, God doesn't want you just to, to say, well, I learned something I didn't know. That's wonderful, but that's not the point. It's supposed to grow, and it's supposed to, when it grows, it, it, it eventually will get to the point that it bears fruit in your life. And what is the fruit that we're looking for? Well, obviously, if we talk about, if we're, if we're reading in the scripture about something, and, and, and you really receive it, and it goes into your heart, the fruit that's going to come out of it is that your, your life is going to begin to show what we talked about. So if we talk about love and we talk about the love of God and you really receive the word of God there, you don't just learn something new about love, but you receive the word of God implanted, then love is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not, that's not the only way that that love is poured out. But when that love comes in, when I've, when I've received God's word about love, something changes in me and now I can love in a different way. I, I, I have a greater capacity to walk out what God has put inside me because I received his word. And so we know that his word is creative. When he created the planet, when he created the universe, he spoke and things were. If this is the living word of God, that's the exact thing that should be happening right now with you is that God speaks, you receive it, and things are created. What's created? Well, whatever he has spoken is created first in your heart and then that'll Take up space in your life. That's the hard part about the word of God is it never, it never stays in the nice little plot you've left it because it grows and, and it begins to take over the garden and takes over all this land that you had set aside for other things. If you really want to follow God, if you really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to let his word mess up your schedule a little bit. You have to let his spirit mess up your life a little bit. And I don't mean, I mean, really, his spirit will not mess anything up. He, he, call, he brings his order into your life. But it might feel like messing your order up. Because if your order comes against his order, well, then there's going to be a war. We pray that he wins, right? I want you to read something with me. Um, uh, we were talking about uh, the name of Jesus last week. And in the name of Jesus is something we say often. And I hope that if you weren't here last week, you'll at least go back and listen because it's so important that we treat that name with the honor and the reverence that it deserves. Because last week we talked about how Jesus obtained the name above all names and how precious that is, how silly it would be for us to just use it flippantly. The name of Jesus is not, some, is not, a, is not an abracadabra. It's not a spell. It's not, a, it's not a, something that you put on the end of your prayer and your prayer automatically becomes righteous. To pray in the name of Jesus is not to say, three, you know, to say a sentence after your prayer like a seal on whatever you prayed. To pray in the name of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus doesn't, doesn't happen when you put that at the end. Praying in the name of Jesus starts with the first thing you say. Am I praying in his name? Am I praying what he would have me pray? Am I praying the prayer that Jesus would pray if he was right here in this situation? Because he is here, but he's using me. So the question comes, are we, his disciples, do, have we been sent out with the same mission that Jesus was sent out with? Uh, some Christians would tell you no. Some Christians would tell you, uh, well, that that day is past. The apostles had the same mission, but now we have the scripture. Yeah. Unfortunately, the scripture, which we hold so dear, has no such verse that tells you that those things will pass. 
There's nothing in the scripture that ever says, I'll stop healing people. There's nothing in the scripture that ever says, demons will never need to be cast out again. Nothing, zero, doesn't exist. And there's a reason it doesn't exist. Because until Jesus returns and until Jesus sets up his kingdom or his earthly kingdom and, and, and puts, uh, finally rules with a rod of iron, until that day his kingdom dwells within us and we are walking it out, we're living it out, and we're taking the authority that he gave us. We're using the authority that he gave us. I want to go back to the mission that Jesus started his ministry with. After he had gone into the wilderness, resisted the devil, after he had fought temptation, in Luke chapter 4, he gets back to his hometown, he stands up in the synagogue, and he declares to the world, here's why I'm here. If you wonder why so many people came and brought their sick and brought their demon-possessed and brought all these people to Jesus... Why, how did they know to come? How did, why did they come expecting that something would happen? Well, sure, they heard stories, but it all began with Jesus making this declaration. And everywhere he went, he made this kind of statement. And, you know, when he, at, at a certain point in his ministry, he began to send his disciples out. In one case, he sent the 12. In another case, he sent the 70. He sent them out to go and, and proclaim these things. In Luke chapter 4, he says this, and, and, and it riled people up at the time, not just because he said this, but because he basically told them that it wouldn't happen in their hometown because they had no honor for him. But in Luke chapter 4, in verse 18, it says, and he's quoting from Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Actually, you know, let's start in verse 17 because it's important. It says, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what's so dramatic about this is that they all knew this scripture well. This is, not only is it Isaiah, but it, this is probably one of the more popular sections of Isaiah. And when he says it, he says, this is it. This is it. What, what you've read for all these years, that's me. He's talking about me. But we, have to, we have to understand why Jesus, why he would read that at that period of time, why, why it was important that he say that, and then what did he do? He went and did the, those things. If you keep reading, he gets in a fight, well, not a literal fight, but he, he gets in some trouble because the people in his hometown are offended, but then he goes, and it says they began to bring the sick to him. They began to bring the disease. They get, began to bring the oppressed, that after he made this proclamation, people started paying attention and started bringing him these people that needed help. The first thing he says is, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do this. He doesn't come up and say, guys, I've noticed I have powers. I was playing around and I don't know. I, I mean, somebody had a wonky leg and it got better. And I, I don't know. I think I should do something with this. He doesn't get up and say, you know, uh, have we ever considered that maybe God could do some miracles here? Why don't we give it a shot? No, he gets up and he says, I have been anointed for this. 
And what's so great about that is that Jesus clearly knew his mission. And he wasn't afraid to tell people what it was. And then he backed it up. So he gets up and he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do this. What does that mean to anoint? What does that literally mean? Well, I mean, of course you go back to where the, the oil was poured on someone's head, but, but literally that spirit of the Lord has anointed me means the spirit of the Lord has not only come in me and on me, but he's empowered me to do something. You notice he doesn't just say the spirit of the Lord just empowered me and now I have powers. He says the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do this. And where did he get that? It's interesting because Jesus is the son of God. Surely he could just stand up and say, I know this is what the Spirit of the Lord wants me to do. But he doesn't. He goes back to the scripture where it's said of him. And he shows them that this authority that he's about to walk in, this authority that he's claiming doesn't just come from himself, but it comes from God. He goes back to the word of God. Because listen, guys, if you're ever going to do anything for the Lord... And if God ever gives you a, a, um, a mandate to go and do something, you'll be able to find it in the scripture. If you can't find it in the scripture, you better check real quick where you're coming from. And so he says the spirit, he goes back to the word. He finds where it's written. The spirit of the Lord anointed me to do this. Now, everything he did in his ministry lined up with that exactly. If anybody had a clear purpose, it was Jesus. Now, as many times as people ask him, this is the question that he keeps getting asked. By whose authority do you do this? By whose authority do you forgive sins? By whose authority do you heal? By whose authority do you cast out evil spirits? In fact, at one point, they claim that he's casting out evil spirits by the devil himself. He says that, that, that wouldn't work. You know, that, that, that accusation is still going out. There's people that are getting healed. There's people that are having dramatic miracles and somebody says, well, it's a work of the devil. What? what? <laughs> Jesus straight up said, that doesn't, it's not how that works. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I've heard people say, well, don't you know the devil in the end is just a servant of God? Jesus says, what fellowship do I have with Belial? What fellowship does light have with darkness? We don't work together. Somebody says, oh, God was just using the devil to do this to you and to do that to you. I'm sorry, but that's, that goes against what Jesus said. We don't play for the same team. God is not just having a fun little puppet show up there and going, I'm going I'm to to, to, cause them to go murder somebody, and I'm going to cause them to go heal somebody, and it's going to be all fun. You know, he's not, he's not up there playing a game. And this is, very, this is something that Jesus showed us. If you have any doubts about the nature and character of God, all you got to do is look at Jesus. If we have any doubts about what God's will is, look at Jesus. If you have any doubts about what God's, God's desire is, look at Jesus. Because the Bible says that he is the exact representation of his nature. Not just of his power, but of his nature. That means what Jesus did was what God desired. Somebody might ask you, somebody might say to you, well, Jesus healed. He did all those things so that he could prove he was the Messiah. Now that we know he's the Messiah, he doesn't need to do that anymore. The question comes up, if Jesus did all those miracles just to prove something, 
Did he care? If he healed those people just to prove he was the Messiah, did he care if they were healed? Or were they just a pawn? Were they just being used so he could prove he had power? Because guys, if that was the case, he could have killed some people too. He could have knocked some mountains down. He could have caused some fireworks in the sky. He could have done all these, a bunch of things to prove his power. He could have literally knocked the temple down. He could have, do it, he could have done uh, all these things. Isn't it interesting that the things he did that proved he was the Messiah didn't just back up his power, but they backed up his nature. Do you know how many people Jesus killed? Zero. How many blind people, how many, how many completely able, well-seeing people did he cause to be blind? Zero. How many clean, you know, perfect skin people did he give leprosy to? Zero. In fact, all he did was heal those people. So he didn't just show you that he had power. He showed you what God wanted. Because if you'll read the scripture, there's so many times where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, why was Jesus moved with compassion? Because he's feeling what God feels. Do you understand that that's what God feels for you? That this wasn't Jesus saying, what's this new emotion? Humans feel this? What's this? This came from God. In fact, he felt compassion when no one else did. He wasn't just like, oh, are we sad about this? Oh, okay, well, I'm sad too. There were times where nobody, everybody's like, just leave this guy alone. He's a blind, he's loud. And Jesus would be moved with compassion. Moved with compassion doesn't mean you feel sorry for him. Moved with compassion means I'm going to do something about that. Why? The spirit of the Lord has anointed me for this. That's why I'm here. Now, if every believer, if every believer would be able to say with clarity, this is why we're here. Now, we think we need to have our own individual statements. And God has an individual plan for your life. But if we could all just for a minute start with the foundation of what all of us are called to do, I think it all could come back to this in Luke 4. All of us are called to this. His, his job is not done. Now, his work was finished on the cross. It was sealed with the resurrection. But, you know, if you ever noticed, the book of Luke and the book of Acts were both written by Luke, right? And both of them were addressed to a, a guy named Theophilus. Now, we don't know if Theophilus was uh, a pseudonym. That, you know, he, he, we, we know by the way Luke addresses him, he calls him most excellent, that, that this guy probably was a, a big shot in power. We, he also could just be, because Theophilus means friend of God, he could just be talking about, you know, a name for anybody that reads it, whatever. He writes two accounts and in the first account, the book of Luke, he talks about all the miracles and the signs, the wonders, the works, and the teachings of Jesus. By the time you get to the book of Acts, he says, the first account, Theophilus, that I composed, I wrote of all the things that Jesus began to do in his ministry. From the time, from the time of his birth up to the time where he was taken up to heaven. And then he begins to write the book of Acts. Don't you find that interesting? That The book of Luke goes all the way from the birth to the resurrection and beyond. And yet, when Luke writes it, he says, this is all, my first account was all about all the things that Jesus began to do. Well, Luke, don't you know that your first account includes the cross? Don't you know that your first account included the resurrection? What do you mean all the things that Jesus began to do? 
Don't you think he did it all? Well, certainly he accomplished it all. But by the time he writes the book of Acts, he's writing the continuation of Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus' ministry did not end when he ascended. Jesus' ministry continues through his people. That's why we've been given his name. That's why we've been given his spirit. Because he expects us to continue what he began. Now, he accomplished the work on the cross. That is a finished work. You never, never, never can or will have to duplicate what he did on the cross. That was final. That was the victory. But you know that we're, we're left here on the planet. The moment you received Jesus, you didn't get raptured. He left you here for a reason. He left you here to preach the gospel. He left you here to do all the things. He left you here to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free those that are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He left you here to do this. And guys, he didn't leave you with any less authority to do it than he had. In fact, if you read, there's several versions of the Great Commission throughout the four gospels. But in one of them, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore, go. See, we start with the go into all the world, but that's incomplete. That statement doesn't begin with go into all the world. It starts with all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. To whom? To Jesus. But now he's sending you out in that same authority that he was sent out. In fact, he prays that in John 17. He says, just as you sent me, I send them. The word that you gave to me, I gave to them. The love that you gave to me, I gave to them. The name that you gave to me, I gave to them. He sent us out with the same tools he had and the same mission he had. Now, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 8, and I want you to see something throughout the scripture that's so important because you think, and we look at this and go, well, good, I got guns. I got weapons. I'm going to go out and show off the power of God. Mark chapter 16 says, these signs will follow them that believe. And he says they'll lay hands on the sick, they'll cast out evil spirits. He talks about even even as they're going, they won't be harmed by these things that are trying to kill them. They'll speak in other tongues. And when he says these signs that will follow them that have believed, he's not just talking about the apostles. He doesn't just say these signs will follow you guys. He says you go out in all the world, you preach. They that believe will be baptized. They that disbelieve will be condemned. And these signs will follow them that have believed. So do you see the context? He says, when you preach, there will be those that believe and there'll be those that disbelieve. And these are the signs that will follow those that believe. If he was just talking to the apostles, he would have just said, these signs will follow you 12 or you 11 because at that time he's just talking to 11 guys. He doesn't say that. He says, and he sets it up nicely. He says, when you preach, those that believe will be baptized. Those that disbelieve will be condemned. These signs will follow those that have believed. Have you believed? These signs will follow you. Now I want you to read with me something in Matthew chapter 8. And next week we'll go into some more of the (laughs) cool stories in the scripture and the the practical examples of how do you walk and, and act in the name of Jesus. But I want to set a foundation first of what gives you the right. Because the name of Jesus, we use it like... Still, when we hear the name of Jesus, it's a powerful name. But when Jesus says, in, the name, in my name you'll do this, he's saying, as my representatives, you'll do this. 
On my behalf, you'll do this. I used this example last week. But when, for, for those of you that weren't there, when a police officer steps out on the road and he's got his lights on, he steps out on the road, now presumably summertime because wintertime, this is a dumb move. But, you know, steps out on the road, sticks up his hand and tells you to stop. That police officer doesn't have a magic force in his hand that's making your car come to a stop. That police officer is not so strong that you just don't want to mess with him because he's got big muscles. You stop because of the uniform that that man wears, because of what he represents, because of that, because of that car. You can see it's an RCMP officer. You stop not because the man is powerful, but because what he represents is powerful. When we walk and act in the name of Jesus, we are doing it as representatives, representatives of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of God. Demons don't run because you're powerful. Demons run because they fear what you represent when you walk in the name of Jesus. And because they have to obey you. And they don't, you know, listen, if that police officer just showed up out of uniform at your house and said, give me five bucks. Would you have to give him $5? No. Why? Because that man no longer represents the office. He's gone rogue. (laughs) And you don't have to listen to that guy. And we're going to look at an example of that. Because here's what I want to lay a foundation, and we'll pick it up next week. But what I want to lay a foundation today of is that if you want to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ, you have to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. No one can walk in authority if they can't submit to authority. In Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now here's a man who understands the power of God, but he doesn't yet understand the nature of God. Why do I say that? Because the man understands that God can heal him and that Jesus has the power to heal him. What he doesn't understand yet is whether or not Jesus wants to. I I dare you to look in your scripture and find one case where Jesus said no to somebody. He didn't. There was one town where people didn't get, there was a few people healed. He did no mighty work. And it wasn't because he didn't want to. It's because they didn't believe. That's what the scripture says. He could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Not because he didn't want to. In fact, that's what it says. It doesn't say he would do no mighty work. It says he could do no mighty work. He was restrained by their own unbelief and lack of honor. Here's what happens. The man says, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I know you can. This is the attitude of many today. I know God can, but I don't know if he will. This is why we need the scripture. This is why you need to believe it more than you believe your eyes at times, more than you believe what you feel, and more than you believe your experiences. Because guess what, guys? You don't see everything. And sometimes when things don't pan out like we thought they should pan out, we automatically assume it must not have been God's will. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes there are things that work. Now, sometimes if you're, just, you're on your time and God's on his time and you, you, you didn't wait long enough for anything to actually happen. You didn't fight long enough. You didn't endure long enough. There are times where, guys, we, we messed it up. We did something. 
Now, that's not all the time, and I'm not going to go to tell somebody who didn't see something happen in their life, well, you must have done something wrong. I don't know. God knows that. But I can tell you this. There are times in my life, so I'm just going to use me. There are times in my life, Jonathan Bounds' life, where I didn't receive what was promised, not because God wasn't willing, but because I stepped out of it. I stepped into something else, sometimes because I, I just didn't believe it. Quite, quite frankly... That's what happened when Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration and the disciples were trying to cast a demon out of somebody and they couldn't do it. And Jesus comes down and the man says, your disciples tried to cast a demon out of my son. They couldn't do it. And Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I didn't want them to. He looks and he goes, you of little faith. And he's not talking to the father. He's talking to his disciples. Oops. So apparently sometimes it can be us. That, that stand in the way of what God's doing. That is unpopular to say today. And the reason it's unpopular is because we do not want the responsibility of that. I'd rather just say, well, if God wants it, it'll happen. Well, sometimes God has given you what you're supposed to have, and he says, now it's your job to walk it out. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Why don't you just choose for us? I've set for you. You do it. How many of you are born again today? How many of you fell into a trance and said words you didn't want to say and you resisted with all your might, but God made you confess him as Lord? Anybody here? No? <laughs> How many of you got saved but didn't believe any of it? You, you, you said it, I don't believe any of it. I would challenge you today, if you didn't believe any of it, you might not be saved. What does the Bible say? It says, by grace, through faith, we're saved. And we've got to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth. If you don't believe it, it, Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. He paid the price. But if you will not receive it by faith, you won't have it. And it's not God's fault. He did the work. Right? So you don't look at people that are perishing and say, not your fault. We say, no, 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 no. We preach the gospel. And, and as Paul said, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. That's right. I want you to know that God wants you. Jesus said, if I be crucified, he said, if I be lifted up, and we use that like, lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher. But the scripture says when he said, if I be lifted up, he wasn't talking about people holding a rally for him. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And the scripture says, he said this to show them which way he was going to die. Right, right. So literally, he's saying, when I'm crucified, yeah. I will draw all men to myself. Amen. So if anyone tells you, well, God didn't want them saved, then bring back to this. When Jesus was crucified, he drew all men. Does God know who will believe and who won't? Yes, he does. does could we have come to God without him drawing us? No, we couldn't. We had to be drawn. But Jesus said, I'm going to pay the price so that all men could come. Now, I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 8. Let's keep reading. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. Go show yourself to the priest. Present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, 
a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Isn't that the greatness of our God? Jesus was willing to go to this. It was far away. He was willing to go. But here's what the centurion says. Centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word. Now, why did the centurion say this? He didn't say this because he was being super humble. He said this because it would have been unlawful for Jesus to enter a Gentile's home. The centurion was saying, Lord, I I don't want to get you in trouble. (laughs) No, Jesus was willing. Just as as Peter had to learn his lesson in the book of Acts. Jesus was willing, but the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Don't come to my house. But he he says, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And I said to my slave, do this, and he does this. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Well, now, that, that, we learn a lot of things from that. We learn that, that there's no distance in the spirit, that that, you know, sometimes we, we do believe in laying on of hands, but there are times where you can't be in the same place. There are times where you're praying for somebody who's far away and, you, you know, that God can, can, that distance does not hinder God. We learn that, that it was the man's faith in Jesus that, that caused Jesus to marvel. And, and the cause of that faith was that he fully believed that Jesus could do something. You see, God, Jesus is not impressed by you lowering expectations. Jesus is impressed and pleased when you have high expectations of him. But the thing I want you to grab this morning from this uh, simple story is what the centurion said. The centurion understood something about Jesus that most of the people in Jesus' own hometown or his own nation didn't understand. The centurion got something. He understood I'm a man like you. I'm under authority, and I have people under me. And I say go, and they go. Isn't it interesting? Because his point is, I tell them to go, they go. I tell them to come, they come. I tell my servant to do this, he does this. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, I'm a man with authority, so I can tell people what to do, and they do it? Because that's the way we often talk about authority, isn't it? How we wield it. Who are we going to make do what we want to do? But this is not the point. He doesn't say I'm a man who has authority. He doesn't say I'm a powerful man, Jesus. He says I'm a man under authority. So because I'm under authority, whose authority? He's under the authority of the Roman Empire. Because I'm under their authority, when I speak, the people under me listen to me, and they don't listen to me because I'm stronger than them. They listen to me because listening to me is basically the same as listening to Caesar himself. And the centurion, and Jesus doesn't correct him in anything he says. The centurion says, I'm like you. Now, this is amazing to me that the centurion got this, that Jesus came under the authority of God the Father. That Jesus said, I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. And I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. Isn't that amazing? The Son of God, come in the flesh, would not do anything unless the Father first told him to do it. 
Now, who are we? Who are we to elevate ourselves above the Son of God himself? Who are we to say we should do something different? If Jesus said, all the authority I have has been, what? Given to me. He understood that the authority he had was given. And that if he stepped out, outside of the will of God, he no longer walked in that authority. Now, that never happened because Jesus always did what was pleasing to the Father. But isn't it interesting here? The man says, I too am a man under authority. So when I tell people to go, they go. When I tell them to come, they come. And the point being is because I'm under the authority of Rome, I carry the authority of Rome. Now, like I said before with the RCMP officer, if this centurion suddenly decides to go rogue and go fight his own little battles and his own little private mercenary attempts, he, he brings his soldiers with him and tells them, you know what, we're, this is what we're going to do. And he's told by a direct officer, you can't do that. He's told by his commander, you come back home. And he doesn't. He keeps doing what he wants to do. His soldiers don't have to listen to him anymore. This guy's a nut. Don't follow him. If we follow him, we'll share his punishment. Let's just stay away from this guy. He's in trouble. The minute that man steps out from the authority of the emperor, he no longer carries the authority of the emperor. I say this because it's so important. When we throw around these words like authority, those are big words. When When we talk about the name of Jesus, that name is so precious and so valuable and so powerful that when we carry the name and we speak the name and we pray in the name and we walk in the name, we better be representing what we say we're representing. So many people will pray something in the name of Jesus and it was their will with that name attached to their will and they expect that the prayer automatically became God's will because they added that at the end. But if you're praying in the name of Jesus, you're praying as a representative of Jesus Christ. When I pray out what the Bible tells us God has promised, I can pray confidently in the name of Jesus. When I speak what God has freely given, we can pray confidently in the name of Jesus. When we do what Jesus did, we can confidently do it in his name. There was a, a craze when I was a teenager that went around, what would Jesus do bracelets? I mean, you know, anytime, I mean, I worked in the Christian bookstore, so I know that anytime the Christian industry gets a hold of something, we tend to overdo it, and then people are like, oh, I don't want to hear that again. But really, it was a great idea, and it was a good, it came from an old book called In His Steps, and, and the idea was, before you did anything, look at that bracelet and say, well, what would Jesus do? So, a wonderful concept, a great thing. The only problem with that was that half the time, we, people would look at the wrist and say, what would Jesus do? They didn't often consider, what did Jesus do? We just imagine, what would he do? Well, that's okay, but when you're imagining what would he do, the best reference for you is to go back and find out, what did he do? When I look back at what Jesus did, I find my pattern. When you study the life of Jesus, you find out what God wants, what he likes, how he does it. And you can be confident that if you look at Jesus and you're imitating Jesus, if he's your example, you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, you could be confident that you are walking in the name of Jesus because you are walking in the footsteps in the pattern of Jesus. 
There are times, guys, where you don't know God's will. There are times where you don't know the will of God. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 8. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays through us and prays out the perfect will of God. There are times where I say, God, I don't know your will. If it's your will, do this. That's, there are times I don't know that. But you can't say, if it be your will, when the Scripture tells you clearly what his will is. That's just ignoring the Bible. I can say, God, if it be your will, Lord, Tia and I are waiting on your will. You, you know, we've been invited to this other country, and we don't know if we should go. So, Lord, if it be your will, would you show us that we're supposed to go? Would you speak to us? Would you provide a way? That's because we don't know if we're supposed to go or not, because there's not a scripture that told us this is, you should go and march to this country. But we have the confidence that if we approach God in his name, that he hears us. And we have our answer, and he will answer us as we call upon the name of the Lord. He'll answer us. Like I said last week, I don't want you to use the name of Jesus less. I want you to use it with honor and reverence. When we speak, sometimes we say in the name of Jesus and we we command something. Sometimes we say in the name of Jesus and we request something. There are times where I will come to God and I, 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 I'm, I'm not really driving, drawing from anything that I know for sure, but I'm coming to God and I'm coming to him in the name of Jesus. So there are conversations you'll have with God and you'll say in the name of Jesus and you'll look back and go, did I pray? I don't know if I prayed out what he wanted me to pray, but you were simply, you were coming to him in his name. And that's a good thing. But we gotta, well, there's one thing that I think we need to know. Is that if you want to walk in the authority that God has given us as believers, first thing we've got to do is submit ourselves to God. Yes. You know, when I was a, a little boy, one of the scriptures I knew very well was resist the devil and he will flee from you. I knew that really well. But that's only half the scripture, isn't it? The whole scripture says this, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In fact, if you want to get real technical, the verse that came before that says, cleanse your hands, you filthy sinners. (laughs) You want the the devil to run away from you in terror? You want him to flee from you? Stop doing what you're doing. Cleanse your hands. Quit expecting that you can live in two worlds and live successfully in both those worlds. Can I, can I just say that? You know, Brother Tracy said something at the minister's conference. Some of you were there. And he was quoting from another man that, that he had respected all his life while he was alive. And he said this, there are some works of power that some believers never walk in, some miracles that they never see because they, they're just not willing to, to step into that level of sanctification. They're just not willing to give some things up. What's the first thing he tells them to do? Stop doing what you're doing. Clench your hands. Stop, stop thinking that you can successfully, you know, get wasted on Saturday night and lay hands on the sick on Sunday morning and this is going to work. Sanctify yourself to the Lord. Now, is he healing people because of your, your personal holiness? No. That's what Peter said. Peter says, you think this guy got healed because of our piety? He didn't get healed because we were holy. He got healed because God is. That's right. That's right. 
And I, I know that God works beyond me. He works even when I don't deserve it. He works when I have fallen short. But listen, you got to have a repentant heart. you got to have a heart that's after him. And the more and more, the closer and closer you get, and the more, the, the more authority you want to walk in and, and serve the Lord in this way, then the more you've got to set your life aside and, and, and choose to follow him wholeheartedly. But he says this, he says, cleanse your hands. He says this, submit yourselves to God and he, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, why is the devil running away from a believer? Because that believer is under the authority of God himself. He's not running from you. He's running from God. You know, we talk about the body, the body of Christ, the parts working together. What is the most important, I mean, as far, we, we know that God is doing something when the parts connect. The Bible talks about the, the growth that every joint supplies. When the joining together of these different parts of the body, and we all have different gifts, and we all have different things. And you know, so many times we view those gifts as a gift that God gave to us. But the gifts of God aren't gifts to you, they're gifts to his body, through you. So we talk about this, and some people use their gift that God gave them for the, for the upbuilding of the church. He, they use that gift to elevate themselves and to make themselves great, and that's an abuse of that gift. But what does the Scripture say? What is the most important connection you can make in the body of Christ? The most important connection is that you are connected to the head. Because, guys, if my body parts start doing what they should not do, Listen, if, if, I, if I spent my time like Chance and I became as, as buffed as this guy is and, and every part of my body just, just muscular, right? And my arm just bursts and ripping my shirt, you know? That's great. But if my arm, if I lose control of my arm and it just starts whacking people, including myself, then all of a sudden the power that I thought was so good becomes abusive because my head is telling my arm, stop hitting people, and my arm is still hitting people, I have a problem. Well, in the body of Christ, you can't use your gift disconnected from the head. It's abuse. It's dysfunctional. It's a problem. When we're disconnected from the head, we have our own agenda. We become our own little autoimmune disease. We're attacking the body ourselves. Yeah. And God does not back behind that. And so here's the thing. Centurion once again says this. I'm a man like you. I'm under authority, so I have authority. The most valuable and precious thing we can do as the sheep of his flock is to learn his voice. Because when you know the voice of God, you can walk in the power of God. You can follow the shepherd. Jesus said this. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep follow me because they know my voice. They don't follow me because they've got a degree. They don't follow me because they've guessed where I'm going. They follow me because they know my voice. Jesus could confidently go where he went, do what he did, cast out what he cast out because he knew the heart of the Father. And he was submitted to the will of the Father. I can say confidently today, because of the Gospels, we know that God loves hurting people. 
and he desires to see them whole. I can say confidently that he loves those that have been oppressed and he desires to see them free. I can say confidently that he loves those who are sick and diseased and he wants to see them healed. How can I say that so confidently? Because I can look at Jesus. And in Jesus, I've seen the Father. And if anyone paints a different image of the Father that doesn't agree with the image of Jesus, our image is warped. My friends, you carry authority only when you've come to submit to that authority. And I know we're passionate to see people changed, lives set free, hearts healed and bodies healed. We're passionate to see the gospel preached not just in word but in power. In demonstration of the spirit and of power, as the Apostle Paul said. And he says, as I preached with the demonstration and of, of the spirit and of power, then I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would submit to you that if you can't, if, if the spirit of God is not present, if there is not a backing up of what you're saying, you have not fully preached the gospel. But the only way you can walk and understand and act in that same spirit and that same power is when you're submitted to the head, which is Christ. When your authority comes from his word and not just your best ideas. Guys, there are times where the scripture doesn't seem to have a precedent for what you're facing. Nevertheless, everything that is you're ever going to come in contact with is touched by this word of God. And because that living word lies inside you and dwells inside you, because the spirit of God dwells inside you, I trust that we'll have an ear turned towards him that when we don't know how to act, he'll speak, he'll guide, he'll lead, and he'll confirm. Can we be a church that sees the power of God in our community? Can we be a church that sees the Spirit of God working? Can we join with others in our city and see the same thing? Absolutely, we can. What's it going to take? It's going to take, first of all, faith that God can do it. Just trusting Him. Secondly, it's going to take an understanding that unless God is the one that's building the house, we're wasting our time. And unless we got the idea from him, Jesus didn't just say, man, I noticed when I was at that wedding, I turned water into wine. I should try some stuff. I should experiment, see how far my powers go. (laughs) Jesus was not, this is not a superhero origin story. Jesus isn't Spider-Man. He's not just discovering some powers that he has. He submitted to God. And the kingdom of heaven visited the kingdom of earth through Jesus. And when he walked it out, he did what he did because he knew that's what the Father wanted. I've, um, I've come to realize that unless I can agree with the Father, unless I can not only submit to what God says, but, but desire to have the same heart that God has, my words will be meaningless. I talked to a young man recently who said, you know, I, I, I find it very hard to share my faith with people. I find it very hard to talk to people about Jesus because I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them and I don't want to step on their toes and I don't all of this. And I said to him, I said, you know, it strikes me that you don't realize how 
good the news that you're telling them is because you think you're inconveniencing them. If you really believed it was good news, if you really believed what you think you believe, you wouldn't think it was a bad thing to come into their area of comfort and tell them about Jesus. You wouldn't think that you're inconveniencing. You wouldn't think that you were judging them. You would you'd be excited because you'd say, hey, I mean, this is what Jesus did for me and he wants to do it for you. I had, a, I had a, a mentor of mine say this at one point, and he was a man that walked in a great, in great I mean, he saw miracles all the time, saw people healed consistently. Um, dramatic stuff. I mean, not just like headaches went away. I'm talking about Down syndrome cured. I'm talking about things that were just, that, I mean, great and extraordinary miracles. And this man said this, and it stuck with me all these years. He said this. He said, until I, he said, he said everything changed for me. People were getting healed. But he said, the, he said, the ministry I was walking in and the miracles I saw weren't at the same level. They weren't at the level they are now until I realized that Jesus wants these people well more than I want them well. See, that changed everything. Because when we're in line with what God wants, then you can walk with confidence. When you're in line with the will of the Father, then you can say with confidence. Now, Jesus, when he preached, it says the people marveled at him because he preached with authority, not like their scribes. Jesus wants you to go out and preach the gospel with authority. He wants you to lay hands on the sick with authority. He wants you to proclaim release to the captives with authority. He wants you to cast out evil spirits with authority. He wants you to pray with authority. But that is his authority working through you. If you want somebody to go, if you want a spirit to go when you say go, if you want the promise of God that he's promised you to come when you say come, then be a man, be a woman under authority. When you're under authority, you have authority. God's not looking for a bunch of rogue agents. He's not looking for a bunch of out of control hands and feet. He's looking for people that are intimately connected to the head. Say, like I quoted earlier a couple weeks ago in Daniel, talks about the, the wicked one standing up, talks about these Satan himself opposing God when it says, but the people that know their God will be strong and will do great exploits. The people that know their God. So when you know your God, you know, you know when I do this, it's not my strength. It's not my will enacted. It's not my authority. It's not my command. It's his. You walk different. You speak different. You act different. See, I, 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 I began to speak different when I understood what the scripture says that in First Peter. It says, let the one who stands up and speaks, speak as the utterances of God. Anybody that's going to stand in front of your congregation better speak as if God himself is speaking through them. Because God desires to speak through them. Let he who serves, serve with the strength that God provides. Not one of us was meant to do any of this on our own strength under our own authority. Let's submit ourselves to God. Then when we resist the devil, he will flee. One translation says, run away in stark terror. What makes demons tremble? What makes Satan flee? What makes them terrified is the authority of God. Amen. Let's stand up today. We're going to praise God together.